Hey there, thank you for watching online with us today with literally people from all over the world. We're so thankful you've joined us. We hope that these messages are a blessing and an encouragement to you in your walk with Christ. However, these messages are only meant to be supplemental. They are not to take the place of a local body, a local church, or a local pastor. And so, if you live in the Middle Tennessee area, please come to one of our local campuses, connect with us, worship with us, and be a part of that local gathering. If you aren't near the Middle Tennessee area, reach out to us via Facebook or Instagram or email. And we want to connect you with a gospel-centered, Bible-believing church near you that's going to help you to find life and live sin. Again, thank you for watching online with us today. We're prayerful that these messages are a blessing in your walk with Christ. God bless you and thank you for watching. This morning, as we continue in the book of John, we're going to look at probably the most widely known miracle uh, in the Gospels, uh, and it's known as the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but as a pastor that I was reading references, and as we'll talk this morning, it's more along the lines of fifteen to 20,000, uh, just to save a few, due to the fact that it only references men being 5,000, and there would have been women and children present as well. pastor by the name of Stephen Cole, he came into ministry, called to pastor at about the age of 30. I find some sibilance there. I was about 30 at the same time the Lord called me to pastor, and I was reading a little bit of what he had said, and he wrote on this particular topic. He said, no text in the New Testament has helped him do as much as the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He says it might be better called the feeding of the 20,000 because there were 5,000 men plus women and children. It's not just a literal miracle witnessed by thousands of people. It's also a parable with many lessons about the all-sufficiency of Jesus to meet the vast needs of the world through his inadequate disciples. Although they were completely inadequate to meet the needs of this hungry crowd, they gave the little they had to the Lord who blessed it and multiplied it so that they could distribute it to the people. Now here was the part I resonated with in his statement. He said this has been his experience in his days of ministry as has been my experience in my days of ministry. The little given to the Lord, blessed and multiplied out of my inadequacy, is his glory. And we're going to find this in John chapter 6 today as we're looking at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 20,000. Uh, we're quick to throw around the word miracle. Let me give you an example. Um, this past couple years, probably two years ago, we're cutting down trees in the front yard. A tree came down. It kind of brushed towards one end of the house, didn't hit anything. Someone looked at the other, and they said, it's a miracle that tree didn't hit the house. Maybe you've had a friend that's been through an accident, and it was a horrific crash. And when you look at the vehicle, the vehicle's all mangled, and you say, it's a miracle you lived through that. Or maybe it's, she said yes. <laughs> Improbable, inconceivable, 
extremely amazing, but still it wasn't a miracle. When I shared that with Susan, she said, jury's still out. <laughs> Here's a definition of a miracle. A miracle is when God does something in the natural world that defies physical laws to reveal who he is. In John 6, 1 through 15, Jesus performs possibly the most significant miracle in the New Testament outside of the resurrection. This is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. C.H. Spurgeon says it this way. It's in all four Gospels so that we won't forget how much the Lord can do with little things that are yielded to Him. This morning I'm going to read all 15 verses and so we're going to do that at the top. We're going to read it and then we're going to walk through the story. There's four characters in the story that we're going to focus our attention on this morning. So if you take out your phones, the scripture will be on the screen Open your Bibles as I have this morning, and we will read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we have here a story of the feeding of the multitude. And it's a miracle of epic proportion. The norm, number is not 5,000. It's more fifteen to 20,000, which is the capacity of the Bridgestone Arena. This helps you to get a better understanding of the enormity of this miracle. If you've ever been to a Preds game or maybe to Winter Jam, you've seen how many people file in to the arena. This was the crowd. It represented 20,000 people. And we have five barley loaves and two fish. There's four characters that I want us to focus our attention on in the story. 
And we're going to take a kind of a cinematic view, kind of approach to the story this morning. And we're going to be looking at it first from the character, which is a group of people called the crowd. And it is a time uh, of the year, it is Passover. We understand from the scripture of John's gospel, he references Jesus' earthly ministry and he references Passover three times. This is the second time he's referenced Passover. So this is the middle of Jesus' ministry. So the crowds are enlarging and the crowds are growing due to popularity of Jesus because of his miracles, because of his signs, because of his healings. And we understand Passover to be the biggest religious celebration on the Jewish calendar established by God so the Jews would remember and celebrate how God had delivered them from Egypt. God had taken the firstborn in Egypt, but he had passed over all the firstborn of Israel if their homes had the blood of the Passover lamb on it. But this celebration had morphed into that which was more of a patriotic celebration from this spiritual celebration. You might liken it to our 4th of July that we have. It was our liberation from the British Empire. Passover morphed not only from remembering how God liberated them from Egypt, but a hope that God would now liberate them from the rule of the Roman Empire. Jesus' miracles are contributing to this increasing popularity for them to want to make him king. And we see that in this story. At the end of the day, we find a crowd that had been watching Jesus do miracle after miracle. And then we see them receiving a free meal from next to nothing. I want to draw from this panoramic view of the crowd, I want you to understand that this wasn't a necessity that they be fed. They weren't starving to death. It would be like you or I just getting up and deciding I'm going to skip a meal this morning. It's not something that we couldn't have easily remedied. Church is over. You can go home, go to... uh, the store, the restaurant, you can remedy that hunger quite quickly. This would have been the situation for them that they would have been able to remedy their hunger by when they returned home. It wasn't that would kill them, but yet it might have been a little bit of a nuisance or a distraction. If you went through sacred gathering and you fasted along with the portion of the church, then you went without sustenance for a period of Hours upon days. I'm trying to draw the correlation for you. Jesus is, um, nothing is just what it seems on the surface. And because every time that we see God meeting a need, it's not about just the need that we reference. It's about more. It's about enlarging our understanding of who he is There's always going to be a new level of faith required every time that God meets a need in your life. In a moment, we're going to be looking at what it means to test and then what it means to tempt. And I don't want you to confuse those two words or or get them connected together. 
And God will never tempt you, but he will always test your faith. You see, they were following Jesus because of the signs. And as Jesus retreated across the Sea of Galilee, the crowd went around the shore and they met him on the other side. I'm assuming as they went along, they were informing people that where they were going, what they were doing was to be with Jesus. They were telling people of the information they had that had been amassed about the healings and the workings and the miracles that Jesus was performing. The crowd wasn't just following him to surrender to him as Lord. They were following him because of what he was doing. They wanted to see the show and some needed to have miracles worked for them as well. A lot of people are interested in Jesus, not necessarily in making him Lord, but because they're fascinated by what they think he can do for them. As I hold in my hand the Bible, many of you may see it as a book of information. Our world sees it as a book of information about Jesus, about stories of who God is. They see it as informative, but they don't recognize it as transformative. The crowd was following Jesus because of the information they had received about what Jesus could do for them, not because of the transforming life that they can receive in his presence. You see, when I open the word or you open your phone to a Bible app or we throw the scripture on the screen, it is the life-giving word of God. It is the truth. Later in chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus establishing he is the true bread of life. Only will we find life in Jesus. And he's laying the foundation for that here in this story for us. So I want to make sure that from the crowd's perspective that you pick up on this particular point before we move to the second character. It's not about how you can use Jesus for your immediate need. It's more about will Jesus be the thing that satisfies your ultimate need. For only Jesus satisfies. The second character that we want to look at or consider is yet another group of people. And in this second character, it is the disciples. The camera now moves from this panoramic view of this hillside, the green grassy area, the 20,000 people, and then it begins to zoom in. And as the camera zooms in, it begins to focus on the faces of two individuals. It is first Philip, and then finally, Andrew. And as it focuses in and the rest of the picture disappears, we understand Jesus is in a conversation with them. And this conversation is of paramount importance for us this morning. Jesus asks Philip, where are we to get enough bread to feed 20,000 people? Jesus wasn't worried. Verse 6 tells us he knew exactly what he was going to do. He was testing Philip. Now I want to read for you in the first chapter of James, verses 12 through 17, because you cannot mistake temptation for testing. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never tempts his people, but he tests us to grow us and enlarge our understanding of him. He knows how he's going to meet our needs before we even know that we have a need to be met. Philip said, 200 denarii wouldn't do the job. A denarii was a day's wage. Philip said, eight months wages, Lord, will not even buy enough bread to give each one a taste. Here we see Philip doing something that most of us do on a regular basis. Philip is taking the resources that he has available to him and he is presented with a problem. And the problem is 2,000 people need bread to eat. And Philip says, okay, 2,000 people need bread to eat. How much money do I have? I don't have near enough. And it would take eight month wages to even let them taste it. So he's calculating based on his resources, which are inadequate. And he forgets to take into account the variable of Christ who is right there with him and calculating with the miracle working power of God. And with Christ in our life, we must understand that no matter what circumstance, no matter what problem, no matter what hurdle that we have in front of us, when we calculate with the resources that are inexhaustible that God has because God is the creator of everything, then we begin to understand that God knows what he's going to do and he has an answer because every good and perfect gift comes from him. Our faith will always be tested. It's the only way that we're going to know whether or not we trust in the Lord. How often we throw up our hands and conclude we can't do it for, I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have that talent. I don't have that time. I don't know enough. Lord, I know you've called me to this, but I can't. But when you put the variable of Jesus into the equation, the answer always is I can, for only Jesus satisfies. You see, it's because of who he is. It's because of who Jesus is that we can face the test that he sends with confidence. And that's why John gives us that important detail in verse 6. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He is God in the flesh. He is never surprised. 
Listen carefully. If you don't get anything else here today, I want you to get this. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have something that all of a sudden he recognizes he wasn't prepared for. He has to put it into action because it catches him off guard. That just does not happen. He knows what he's going to do, and that fact alone fundamentally should change how we deal with the difficulties that we have in our own lives. I don't know what it is that you're facing today or what circumstance that you brought here with you today, but because of who God is, it must fundamentally change your approach to satisfying that need. Andrew said, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Yay, Andrew! Here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. If only Andrew would have stopped right there. We would have said, the faith of Andrew, he's not sure exactly what's going to happen, but Jesus, here it is. Do what you do best. Make it work. But Andrew didn't stop there. He's like the rest of us. This is what I have or what we have, but what is this for so many, he says. They thought there was no way to meet the need. The irony is that Jesus turned water into wine. He healed a man from 20 miles away. He healed a man's son from 20 miles away. He just sent them out Two by two, and they performed miracle and miracle. The disciples did. And they said, oh, sorry, it's too big for you, Lord. There's no way. Does that sound familiar to us? Is there time in your life and in mine and maybe even today when life hits us between the eyes? Maybe your marriage is on a dry season and each day you wonder, is today the day? Maybe it's... Your children are rebellious or defiant and you're wondering, is today the day? Maybe it's there's more month than there is money each month and the job just seems to be dead in and you don't know what you're going to do and you're just wondering, is today the day? Maybe it's a situation of just the fact that you see your inadequate resources and you recognize your inadequate ability and you say, Lord, there's just no way. I want us to recognize today that that was the doubting disciples and maybe we are connected to them and maybe that's us in the room. But it's about more than our inadequate resources and our inadequate abilities it's about the unlimited resources and the unlimited ability of the God we serve. Jesus, only Jesus, satisfies. God has done amazing things in my life in the past. He's done amazing things in your life, in the life of the church. We read them in Scripture. We see history of what Christ has done. We know them personally. But something happens, we get stressed and we forget that God is bigger than all our problems. We say, what are we going to do? And my answer to you is simple. It's two words and it's trust Jesus. So what are we going to do when life gets out of control? We're going to trust Jesus for there's no problem Jesus can't handle. 
As we step into Easter week, we're beginning the celebration that Jesus is the ultimate miracle. Don't miss this. Jesus is the ultimate miracle. You can't neglect remembering and celebrating the greatest provision in all of history and most significantly our eternity is celebrated this week. The disciples were doubtful, but we see that Jesus provides and he satisfies. Now, the third character in our story that we're going to talk about is the boy. Now, I find that it's very interesting that the boy gets such a small snippet in the story. It's only in passing that we recognize the boy. The boy's only referenced this one time, but yet his willingness speaks louder than the 20,000 in the crowd that was eager to see how they could use Jesus. It speaks louder than the doubting of the disciples who had been with Jesus, who had worked miracles themselves, had seen what Jesus could do, but yet they did not see that he could do this. And then there's a boy, five barley loaves. It's not a loaf of bread like we have. Five barley loaves, it's like a cake. And commentators say that barley was that which poor people and animals ate. So it was a small cake. I've heard someone say it like this. The boy brought to Jesus, Andrew said, Hey, Jesus, we have five Twinkies and two sardines. That's how I've heard it referenced in some cases. But five barley cakes and two pickled fish. And it's the willingness of the boy for everyone knows that that offering is meager and it's inadequate to meet the need of so many. But in the hands of Jesus, Jesus provides and satisfies. In the hands of Jesus, the meager offering yields mighty results. For you today, I want you to hold on to the fact that no matter how meager your offering is to you, it has the potential to do mighty in the hand of God. Jesus could have snapped his fingers. He could have made it rain bread, right? Right? He turned water to wine. That just didn't fit my character, did it? <laughs> That's one where David would have done real well. He was like... <laughs> but he could have snapped his fingers and bread could have been made from nothing, enough to feed 20,000 people. He had just changed water to wine in Cana. And we understand that this meager offering of five loaves and two fish met the needs of the masses. This young boy's generosity is convicting to me, and I pray it is for you. He only has a little, and if he gave some, he wouldn't have as much. If he gave it all, he wouldn't have any. He could have thought it's so small it won't make a difference. He could have kept it for himself. But he didn't. He offered what he had. It's a reminder that when we give whatever we have to God, money, time, 
resources, relationships, talents, gifts, no matter how much or how little it is, God multiplies it. A little in the hands of God becomes enormously significant in the kingdom of God. Jesus will blow your mind with what he does with what you give, for you'll never outgive God. I think this plays heavily into some of where we're going as a church as God is leading us since sacred gathering. We have a great deal of confidence that God is leading us to equip the family and the home. And I want to clarify what we mean by that. We feel God leading us to emphasize the need for every person, no matter what's happening in their home or how many people live in their home or the particular relationships of the people in that home, to be very intentional about what's happening in their home for the sake of our own spiritual growth and the growth of others in that home. For those who are parents with kids, it's about you, potentially your spouse, unless you're a single parent, and your kids. For those who are married, it is about you and your spouse. For those who are single and honestly this is one of the things that is the hardest for us to be clear about as we talk about family. It's about you and anyone else in your home growing spiritually. Additionally, what we mean by this is an emphasis on the way that we all serve our church family. We need each other in this church family to grow personally, but also for the sake of other people's growth. You are important for the next generation to grow spiritually. You are important for the older generation to grow. You are important for the younger generation to grow. You are important for your own generation to grow. But as we talk about family, let me beg you, do not only engage with your own generation. The Bible is clear and it calls us to proclaim the gospel from generation to generation, not only to our own. Many of you think that you don't have much to give others, just like this young boy probably thought, but look at the great way that Jesus used his little to do much. I love meager to mighty. It just resonated with me this week. The meager offering yields mighty results. One of the ways we want to help the home side of this happen is through resources, and we've built a resource for you and your family that you can use this week as you prepare and lead up to Easter. We've created an Easter week family worship guide. This is designed with a simple pattern in mind that is achievable for individuals and couples and parents with kids, and it's called Read, Pray, and Sing. Simple pattern that guides you to engage with God's Word, to engage with God in prayer, and to respond to God through song. It can be done in as little as seven to 10 minutes. It is the prayer of life point to come alongside you to encourage you and to equip you to lead spiritually and effectively and scripturally in your home. And so you have this guide that we have created to help. You can find it on our website, on our Easter page, and it has scripture to read that walks you through the days leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. It has things to pray about based on those scriptures. It has links to songs and videos on YouTube to listen to and sing along with as an individual or a family. 
even those of you with younger kids, there are songs that are more kid-focused, like they sing in Soul Station Kids Worship or in our Clubhouse Preschool Worship. This is an easy way to win and prayerfully create a pattern in your lives of doing daily in your home what God has commanded us to do. Like this boy, God, uh, give God what you have. No matter how small the gift that you think you have, give it to God. Let him use it in your home and let him yield mighty results spiritually in your home from whatever offering you can give him. On a similar note, this is why it's so important for you to bring what you have to serve in the church. Many of you don't serve in the church because you don't think you have enough to serve in this capacity or that capacity. It's not about how little or how much. It's only about whether or not you will give it to God for him to use. So I want to reiterate here as we focus on the boy in the miraculous story, the point is to demonstrate that Jesus is the only one that satisfies. Even in this boy's meager but willing offering, the final character that we see is Jesus. And Jesus is the object, ultimately, of the other three characters. The first thing we know or notice is Jesus' incredible compassion. Jesus could have easily, with all the things that were going on, John the Baptist had just been beheaded, the disciples had gone and got his head of his body, had buried it, they'd come back to report to Jesus, the disciples had been sent out two by two, and they were on this spiritual high coming back from all the wonderful things that had taken place. Jesus needed to mourn John the Baptist, his cousin that had just passed away. All of these type of things were going. Jesus had been doing miracles day in and day out. You can only imagine as the power of God was pulled out of him that he was emotionally drained. He just needed to retreat, rest and refuel. But the crowd met him. And instead of saying no, he had compassion. And he had them sit down, and he fed them. It's a beautiful picture of God's heart, for God is never too busy for you. Over 7 billion people on this planet, God knows everything about you and has all the time in the world for you. He never gets tired of you coming to him. Little things, big things, in all things, he wants you to come to him. He is the lover of your soul. This is God's heart. He knew what the crowd needed and he knows what you need right now. He knows what you're going to need this afternoon, tomorrow, and every day after that. But not only is compassion, we see the power of Jesus. Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, he acknowledged whatever we have, no matter how little, how much, it comes from God. Then the disciples began to hand it out and it just keeps going. This was a miracle that the 20,000 was witness to, not just the ones that took the water jars and noticed that it was wine. So the significance of the miracle is paramount. We see the power of God in the fact that in the reality that God meets our needs and satisfies us to the fullest. You see, in the story, he didn't just meet their need to the minimum 
it says that they ate to their fill. They had all that they wanted, and then they collected the remnants that were 12 baskets full. The question that I have for you today is simple. Is this the Jesus that you believe in? Do you believe in him as compassionate Savior and powerful Lord? If you don't, I encourage you to repent because it means you're believing in your power and your provision and you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus satisfies. As we look and consider this miraculous account of Jesus' work, do you see yourself... Maybe you see yourself in the eager crowd seeking what Jesus can give and do, but not seeking Jesus himself. Maybe it's the doubting disciples that you connect with who don't recall the extent of what Jesus can do. Maybe it's the willing boy who gave the little that he had and it was used greatly by Jesus. I hope no matter where you see yourself among these three, you'll see for all of them and all of us, Jesus is the only one who satisfies. In a moment, our ushers are going to come and our band's going to come and I'm going to pray for us. Our offering will be taken. I pray that you are connecting to LifePoint. I pray that your connect card will end up in that basket. I pray that you'll give us an opportunity to pray over you and your family as we pray over the families of our church as a whole as God is leading us to focus living sent first home in our families as we continue to live sent across the nations. Do you believe in the power and the compassion of Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and recognize that you are the only one who can satisfy. Father, you're the giver of life. Later in John, we're going to see that Jesus says he is the bread of life. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is that we are seeking to have satisfied. And Father, that if it's circumstantial, that Father, we would relinquish that and we would begin to deal with the more serious conditions of the heart. Father, I pray this morning that as we lean into this time of response, that your people would just pull into your word and they would lean on your presence and Father it wouldn't be information they received today but they would recognize they're in the transforming presence of a Savior who died on the cross of Calvary who gave his life a ransom for many who made atonement for our sin standing as a substitute in our place who was buried in a tomb and on that glorious third day was resurrected victorious defeating death Father let us never forget the power of the resurrection 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.